Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent. Today, we're kicking off a new thing called Change Agent Chats, where I'm able to talk with people about things that are happening in the space. These are intended to be kind of quick and informal. So we're going to go ahead and start. So Rob and Andrea, I met both of you guys during COVID and Rob, you and I have talked a couple of times. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves, Rob and Andrea? Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Rob Hanfield. I'm a professor of supply chain management at North Carolina State University in the Poole College of Management. And uh, I was involved in the Joint Acquisition Task Force during COVID, helping to identify sources of uh, PPE and supplies, and uh, also worked with Andrea on a uh, project that involved interviews with all of the state chief procurement officers that was facilitated by NASPO, the National Association of State Procurement Officers. So we both had uh, front row seats and some really interesting, compelling discussions with state government officials responsible for the statewide response to COVID during that time frame. Andrea, I want you to introduce, and then after you introduce, give a high-level follow-up on an introduction to this paper. Yeah, sure. So my name is Andrea Patrucco. Uh, so I'm a faculty, uh, I'm assistant professor of supply chain management at Florida International University College of Business. Um, so my research area is public procurement. As uh, uh, Rob was saying, uh, uh, we collaborated on this project with the National Association of State Procurement Officer of uh, uh, regarding state uh, uh, response to the COVID pandemic and, and PPE uh, acquisition strategies and their relationship with the, with the strategic national stockpile. Uh, personally, I also collaborate with the uh, NIGP as well, the Institute of, uh, of Public Procurement here in the United States. And uh, uh, I am part of the uh, European Union Public Procurement uh, Expert Task Force. Uh, um, so it was nice to have like a, a comparison of uh, what was going on here in the United States compared to what was going on in different countries also, also in Europe. And we're particularly right now focus on uh, uh, a, a big topic that followed the, the COVID procurement emergency, which is like the need to um, share data and guarantee transparency in public procurement. So I think that there's a lot of there's a lot to be done in, in this area. Regarding uh, um, the paper, uh, so the idea of the paper is that, uh, uh, as we all know, the, the COVID uh, uh, emergency uh, exposed uh, issue regarding the distribution and availability of uh, uh, critical goods, but particularly personal protective equipment um, at the federal level, but also especially at the state level. Uh, so we were realized that uh, uh, there were a lot of efforts by the federal government to try to allocate and distribute PPE uh, using various uh, uh, data source uh, and different type of resources. But despite that, what we saw is that uh, like several states, local government and other agency hospital, um, there was still in shortage. So healthcare facilities uh, uh, were... Uh, uh, were in danger of uh, uh, providing patient care during that period, which raises the question of uh, why was that federal strategy for PPE distribution ineffective? Uh, so analyzing why, what were the reasons why the federal government was not able to effectively support uh, state, local, and health institutions during COVID? And second, what type of reform are necessary 
uh, to an age preparedness for future disasters. So what lesson learned can we, can we take from COVID uh, to increase preparedness in the future? And uh, uh, to do that, uh, we particularly focus on a strategic resource in the United States, which is the strategic national stockpile. So uh, we analyzed through interviews to, with state procurement officials and also uh, members of the emergency task force of the United States government, what happened and uh, how uh, can the management of the strategic national stockpile can be improved uh, in the future to avoid uh, uh, the same type of shortages and be more prepared to future supply chain crises, which again, we hope that they will not occur, but in the eventuality right. they will occur, uh, we need to ensure better resiliency. So Rob, maybe just to quickly continue sort of the timing of this paper, and then we'll get into some questions. Some of these things were known anecdotally towards the end of COVID. How is this paper new or how, how is it added to the conversation of what people sort of understood anecdotally? Like, what have you guys captured that extended the knowledge in the moment? Well, I think the contribution is there's always been sort of a uh, some confusion uh, or misunderstanding regarding the role of the federal government relative to the role of the state uh, for these kinds of you know, major, major disasters. So, uh, you know, FEMA uh, is, is, you know, the largest emergency management association. Uh, and, and, you know, they define an emergency as any kind of incident that results in extraordinary levels of mass casualties, damage, or disruption. And, uh, you know, emergencies can occur very quickly or over time. And um, if an emergency exceeds the local government's response capacity, uh, in other words, the local, you know, the local city or the local county, uh, then then it becomes a state level intervention. Um, if if uh, if it exceeds the level of the state, then it you know and starts crossing state boundaries, then it becomes a national issue, mm -hmm. and uh, and at that point, that's when you know the federal government gets involved. And in the U.S., disaster management is generally classified into you know, mitigation. Uh, preparedness, response, and, and recovery. And so, um, you know, the, the entity that therefore is responsible for disaster management when something happens across the country is, is the federal government. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there often is a disconnect in communication between the federal, the state, and the local actions. And uh, here again, in the case of COVID, this was the major source of disaster, and it was a complete failure in terms of uh, the inability of the state and the, the federal government to work together. Mm -hmm. and, and this became evident when we started interviewing chief procurement officers, is we asked them, you know, what has the federal government been able to do in this case to, to help you with this? And we found that they were, uh, first of all, they were dramatically unprepared. Um, you know, the, the role of the strategic national stockpile was, was and the SNS has always has only been around for, you know, 15 years or so. And, you know, th their role has always been sort of as a disaster management response to things like anthrax or, you know, th these other kinds of things. They were not prepared uh, in any sense for anything like the pandemic. And uh, I mean, it was it was founded during the, the Clinton administration and, you know, very often they're they're responsible for 
you know, pharmaceutical interventions like antidotes and antitoxins, uh, you know, ventilators, that kind of stuff. And what we discovered, of course, was that they were completely unprepared. Um, most of their stock of masks, N95 masks, had not been renewed since 2009, which was the H1N1 disaster, uh, and were completely outdated and expired. I mean, the elastic bands would snap if you if you uh, if you try to put them on. And and so we asked uh, we asked the states uh, and the and the CPOs, you know, what was the role of the federal government in in uh, your response? How effective were they? And we also looked at some interesting data to show is, you know, what was the allocation of existing supplies across the different states? You know, was it done based on per capita, based on, you know, the number of deaths, based on the number of uh, nursing homes, the number of uh, at-risk adults? Uh, and, and, you know, we found that it was, uh, there was really no discernible pattern in, in the way that those supplies were allocated to states, which means it was pretty much a random process. It, there probably wasn't a process. Andrea, maybe you want to you wanna add to that as well. Yeah, so I think that uh, uh, the lack of uh, timely and reliable data, uh, I think, was one of the main issues. The federal government faced several difficulties in, uh, in putting together valid, reliable, and timely like data um, regarding both domestic supply chain and states' need. And clearly, that should have fed... Uh, the distribution strategy, but as this data was not available, uh, of course, uh, uh, that affected the, the pattern behind the distribution. Uh, like, mm -hmm. I think that Rob said pretty well, like, the most surprising thing was that we were not able, like, our analysis is inconclusive. Like, we couldn't find any type of pattern in the characterization of the distribution strategy, which is exactly what it shouldn't happen during, uh, uh, during an emergency of, uh, um, of this type. More than that, what we also found is that uh, there was kind of like inadequate coordination and communication uh, uh, between federal agencies. Uh, so between FEMA and the Department of Health and Human Services and also Department of Defense. Uh, so we heard from states uh, that sometimes they were receiving uh, um, like uh, inventory of, uh, of PPE from different sources uh, and other states that instead didn't receive it at all. So uh, it gave us the feeling that within the federal government, due to the magnitude and impact of this type of emergency, uh, there were not coordination and communication of what was done uh, within the federal government, uh, which also clearly prevent an effective support to um, federal, state and, and local entities, uh, um, which has the consequence that uh, when the states uh, felt like the same, like that there was not a clear distribution and allocation strategy, Clearly, they then start organizing uh, the purchasing of PPE on their own, uh, creating even more confusion in the system, because clearly then they were going to compete uh, within each other, but also with the federal government that at the same time was trying to procure the same type of goods and services. So it was kind of like a snowball uh, events type, like as uh, the federal government didn't have an effective distribution strategies, which had a negative effect on the need for state, on support needs for state and local government, then the reaction from state especially was to try to organize themselves, their, their purchasing of these critical goods, uh, which 
create even more confusion in the distribution strategy of the federal government. So that was kind of like a vicious cycle. A few stories that I'm remembering from this time frame, because I deal with a lot of procurement officers and dealt with them then. I don't think that procurement officers, that this was a standard thing that they were expected to have contracts for or to have an understanding that they were supposed to have stockpile on it, because a lot of times these kind of purchases would have been considered more in the health and human realm. And so, you know, I talked to one procurement officer who at one point said, do you know how many pallets a million uh, surgical gloves comes on? And I said, no. And they said, well, neither did we. And the answer is 135. And so now you have people buying huge quantities of supplies that then now it's not just the acquisition, it's the storing and it's the logistical organization of it. And then I had a different CPO say that they had to organize the inbound flight of a certain set of PPE so that it wouldn't be taken by the federal counterparts to intercept the the purchase of this for the distribution process. So it was definitely the wild, wild west out there in terms of a new area to acquire, lots of people feeling a lot of pressure that they had to do things at the same time and very limited coordination. And in fact, sometimes the states and the feds would be competing with each other. So what did you find as far as the effect of that on things like supply hoarding and um, not willingness to share? And then suddenly now the, we have a bunch of these things and we don't know what to do with them. So how did this process lead to sort of unequal capture and supply of the stockpiles at an individual level? Yeah. During during the interviews, you know, we heard a variety of different stories regarding uh, what did and didn't happen. And, you know, some some people, um, you know, said, you know, uh, initially we did get some supply, but we didn't get enough that we were hoping to be able to get. Some said we did receive products from FEMA, but, you know, the vibe we had on it is we were never too sure what was coming or when it was coming. So the, the it was a complete communication breakdown in terms of uh, really effectively uh, managing what products were available. And, you know, when I interviewed um, part of the, uh, the folks at the SNS, and we wrote about it in a Harvard Business Review article, you know, they said, look, we had no idea. And this was incredible. They, they did not have people who were acquisition professionals working in the national stockpile. They, they, they basically had clerks. Uh, and, you know, this guy said, we had no idea all this product came from China. And the first indications we got were that the uh, big distributors that we rely on, you know, the Cardinals and the Kesson said everything had been frozen. So, you know, they, they were they were completely, um, you know, starved of resources. Uh, they Their budgets were, were, you know, have been cut repeatedly. They don't have acquisition professionals working in there. Uh, and as Andrea said, they don't have data. They don't have access to information to even understand where to send uh, products, when and if they receive them. And, uh, you know, their response has been to start hoarding a lot of PPEs, you know, since COVID occurred and to keep, you know, a year's worth of supply in, in these big leased warehouses which, you know, I'm not sure that's a long-term strategy either that, that is worthwhile. You know, I think what we need is, is we need a national recovery strategy and, and we need some public policy, you know, that dictates the types of governance um, that, that needs to occur uh, within the SNS, but also across all of these other agencies. 
Um, so, and, and there needs to be, you know, proper funding of, of the national stockpile. It, today, uh, or prior to COVID, it was sort of a, uh, it was a small office under the uh, uh, ASPR, uh, you know, the uh, director of, of uh, the pandemic response. And the ASPR uh, was, was generally a clinical person, again, who didn't understand how supply chains operate. So, you know, we really need in the end some supply chain expertise uh, at that level to be able to deal with these kinds of things. And uh, it simply wasn't there. There was no data. There was no uh, organized method of, of being able to do that. Part of what we also have is in our paper is we, we came up with a number of specific recommendations based on our findings that we think uh, can help overcome some of the inherent, you know, design flaws of the current national stockpile. Andrade, why don't you pick up there? Yes, and uh, the one like huge recommendation is strictly connected to what you just said and what uh, Rob already explained. So, uh, one of the biggest issue moving forward is an improvement of uh, uh, emergency supply chain governance. States organize themselves uh, and. Uh, of course, uh, competence are different across states. So we have states in the United States that are more used to deal with emergency situation because uh, they deal with the smaller scale disasters. So they know exactly or they know more or less uh, uh, how to procure goods that are in shorter. So they have developed some strategies. They have warehouses. They have inventory policies in place that they can be dynamically changed. Well, there are other states that... They, that was the first time that they have to face a situation like that. So clearly these, state, these states were um, not prepared and these uh, uh, lead to the situation you just described. People didn't know how much to purchase, how much to stock, how to stock, if they have to invest in a warehouse or not. So this is due to the fact that everything was kind of like improvised last minute. So improvement of the supply chain government. So a clearly outline of the emergency plan in a situation like this must be the priority moving forward. Clearly, these need to be paired with the fact that supply chain competence and topics and models and tools need to be incorporated in states official. The other important thing that we found that several states do is uh, the support. Uh, there was something that was like unique and maybe then Rob can expand a little bit. You know, Rob, when we were early in COVID, I wrote an article that said, this is not a hurricane. And my premise of that article was that when we think of disasters, we think of something that is generally, you know, geographically constrained and it comes and it's awful and then it goes. And then we get into a long period of recovery. So that tends to be the patterns of fires and hurricanes and plane crashes and all kinds of awful things we could sit here and list. The difference of COVID was it was happening everywhere at the same time. And, you know, Andrea had mentioned like some places are more used to dealing with disasters than others. And it was happening at the same time and it wasn't passing. So it was continuing to be in the middle. So it was very different structurally than other disasters that we maybe had dealt with or had been built for. So what does the report say as far as trying to build some of these competencies or this support infrastructure from the feds if that kind of thing comes back again? Like how do we how do we not just be dependent on the fact that 
Florida and Texas and Louisiana are used to dealing with hurricanes, but Des Moines, Iowa is not. Right. Right. Well, and, and you bring up a great point. And, um, you know, it, it also starts to get into, uh, you know, some of the constitutional issues because the state's first responsibility is for the public health of their citizens, uh, which does not preclude a role for the federal government, especially when you have, you know, these these national, in this case, international crisis, which isn't um you know, which is limited in terms of time and, and of geography. It was it was something that Im- impacted everyone. So we came up essentially with four uh, four recommendations that we think are are really important. Um, the first is, uh, you know, the, the federal government is not an expert in uh, logistics, and, and neither is the state. Uh, and so, you know, we thought, well, you know, the private sector. Is, is really good at distribution. And so uh, we did see some states like California where they relied heavily on like UPS in this case to lease a warehouse and to help them with their distribution. And this is not unlike what happened, believe it or not, in World War II. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, the federal government enlisted uh, experts, they called them a dollar a year men, you know, from some of the largest companies in the US like Ford and GM, who had practical knowledge of production and supply chains and uh, could figure out how to best organize uh, these these kinds of initiatives. So we we really think it's important to have uh, that kind of expertise and and, uh, being able to really bring those folks in, especially when you have a disaster of of this scale and and not try to just do it through uh, you know, government bureaucrats and clinicians that uh, understand federal policy, but don't understand, you know, how supply chains work. Uh, the second type of reform <clears throat> is we really feel there's some kind of a centralized approach to procurement uh, that needs to be coordinated through a, a, a central production board. And again, this this also occurred during World War II. Uh, the U.S. established the World Production or the War Production Board which was a new administrative agency with full power for mobilizing industrial resources. And uh, again, we think that this is something that uh, should and could be done um, to be able to mobilize those resources quickly to bring together multiple agencies because they all play a role. Uh, And, and, you know, there's, there's no specific um, uh, exact format for that government. But we need to bring together, you know, DHHS, FEMA, uh, the FDA. There's, um, uh, you know, ASPR. There's, there's multiple, uh, multiple agencies that need to be involved, and I think a special type of board would be required in this case. The other piece is, you know, we really need to make a pandemic response uh, a strong centralized political issue. There, there really wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of political visibility and support. Prior to COVID, it was it was almost an afterthought, and uh, you know there was something called the FEMKI, which was a, a, a national plan for a pandemic response. Uh, that was if that had been followed, we probably would have been okay. But um, you know it, it was sort of lost in the shuffle, and uh, so so we need to have strong political support for um, this supply chain response, and then finally. Um, you know, the federalist government structure defines the roles and responsibilities of the federal government. 
And uh, we were sort of in uncharted territory. How do you design a governance system that combines centralized government coordination with decentralized and distributed state decision-making? And uh, so there were a lot of tensions between you know, the states that expected to receive substantial federal support and the federal government's inability to meet those expectations. So we, we really need to have a, a stronger mechanism uh, for federal and state government during this kind of a disaster response. And part of that also requires a, we have better data. Uh, we have to be able to you know, create a data collection system to understand what's going on. Uh, just as an example, you know, we worked with, um, with SAS and SAS worked with uh, the German government. Uh, and the German government has a single uh, healthcare uh, institute that manages the entire healthcare facilities for all of the, 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 the country. They mandated that every hospital in every part of the country had to include specific data on the number of cases the conditions of those cases and um, and how much inventory they had. And they had to do that on a daily basis. And, you know, that allowed them to create a dashboard and to be able to monitor and allocate uh, materials as, they, as required. And, you know, unless you can have that mandate to share data and provide information and means of collecting that data, you're flying blind. You, you really don't know what to do. Andrea, have you guys been able to take this kind of information outside of this report? How are you promoting this report and how are you trying to make this be part of a conversation? Oh, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Um, and let me, I just want to add one, one okay, small Please. but important point, which is connected to your question. Uh, a key point that emerged uh, through the interviews when discussing uh, what can be done better next uh, as we, there was a lot of discussion regarding uh, the need of supply chain competence and governance and the misalignment. Uh, during COVID, uh, there was a highly underused and underexploitation of group purchasing. Unfortunately, that was not planned during COVID. So there was a delay in reaction from, for example, NASP value point to support the state. But when they find their way to like bundle contract support the state, the situation was much more improved. So we're in contact and in touch um, with procurement organization and group purchasing association to try to get the, the conversation going uh, um, and clearly do some like uh, uh, bottom-up uh, uh, bottom pushing, uh, uh, because clearly this can only move is from a central government perspective, there are investment into this. So I think that if the demand comes directly from the states, and from this organization, then these recommendations are like written in the report can then become more, more actionable. Okay. I think we've introduced people to the report. It's out there if they want to go and find it for themselves. And then maybe just give us some final thoughts on for the parts of this that aren't like state coordination, but federal coordination. How are we? I'm sure a lot of people are, are still exhausted and PTSDing from having to deal with so much COVID. So how do you get them to think forward to, we may have to talk about this again, maybe not for this kind of thing, but for something else. How do you get the federal people to be willing to listen and think forward and listen to some of these lessons on something we might build towards the future? Well, you know, um, 
you know, the other the thing I want to emphasize is, uh, you know, COVID is not over. Um, unfortunately, you know, people like to think, oh, it's over, it's behind us, uh, it's never going to happen again. Um, it's still it's still out there. Um, you know, I knew several people who who had COVID cases in the last couple of weeks, um, and and anytime you have, um, you know, COVID strains that are running around, you're going to get. Uh, variants, and when you get variants, uh, if those some of those variants come back and they're they're dire, they're they're powerful, um, we could have another uh, another episode of this. Um, you know the, the 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 economic impact of COVID was just tremendous. It was it it really destroyed a lot of people's lives. The health impacts, so many people died as a result of it. It was it was absolutely devastating. Um, and I think people are, you know, maybe saying, well, we don't want, we don't want to, you know, we want to put that in our past. We want to put in our rear view, rear view mirror. We don't want to think about it. Um, but we absolutely need to think about it. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I, uh, in 2010, I wrote a, a report uh, for the IBM business of government that said preparing for the inevitable, how to get ready for the next pandemic. And, um, I, I joke because you know copies of that report are collecting dust in my office. No one ever, ever read them. No one, no one got prepared, and I think it could happen again. Uh, it, it very well could happen again. It's not a zero probability event, and so I think at the state level, we we spoke to a lot of states that are now recognizing you know the important role that procurement plays at a state level, and I think some states are really. Uh, ramping up their preparedness and uh, thinking more about that, recognizing that they can't just depend on the federal government. Uh, at the federal government, there's been a lot of talk about reform. I haven't really seen it yet, to be honest. There's been a lot of committees and a lot of discussions. I don't think there's been enough action yet uh, along those lines. I, I, I hope to be proven wrong, um, but I, I don't think we want to you know, let the, let the dust settle on this and not not learn from it. Well, great. Well, you guys have been great to help re kickstart some of the use of this tool. I had dinner with uh, Sarah Scudder a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me she's using this tool all the time. I was like, I have this. I should be using this. So we're going to try to start using this tool to do these kind of quick conversations see who wants to actually listen on LinkedIn and then put it on the podcast. I appreciate you guys being willing to jump on and help me knock the rust off of this thing and talk about a super important topic. Thank you so much for asking us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Dustin. Pleasure to be yeah. here.